Welcome everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. Welcome to the show everyone. It is a beautiful November 29th here in Denver, Colorado. This is No Need to Argue. I am your host Kobe Wittick. Thank you for joining me. I do want to apologize for missing you guys all on Monday. Uh, Things got a little crazy and I did not have time to get everything taken care of for that episode. So we are going to hit it hard and heavy today. We're going to recap everything from Thanksgiving on and then we will preview this week in the NFL. Got some big, big time college games this weekend and a lot of fun coming up. So Let's uh, go ahead and get after it. Definitely check me out on Twitter at no need two a. Um, I'll have some videos posted of you know some of the things that we talk about today, and definitely want to try and get some polls up as we get closer to the NFL playoffs and everything that's kind of been happening around the league, and some hot teams getting cold, some cold teams getting hot. Uh, it's going to be an interesting race for probably the bottom three uh, seeds of the NFL with some of the divisional matchups going on and the wild card races that are going on. Uh, I think, you know, kind of our top two seeds in each division or conference is going to kind of be set in stone if those teams continue to play the the way that they are. But, uh, you know, it could be interesting to see how the playoffs fill up towards the bottom as this season goes on. Will the Broncos be there? Ugh. I don't know. A lot of people are hoping that they will. One, two straight, but we will definitely figure that out as we go along this season. So, there's the bell. Let's go ahead and get after it this week with... You gotta be kidding me! Okay, so first one... You know, Tiger versus Phil. We had the big Black Friday matchup, the match, Tiger Woods against Phil Mickelson, 1v1 for $9 million, fully mic'd up, pay-per-view programming, and I was so excited. I mean, I was jacked up for this matchup. Obviously, as I said before, um, you know, I wish that this would have taken place about 10 to 12 years ago, but, you know, better late than never, as some say. So, I think, you know, I want to break this down in a couple ways. One, I was really excited for having the, you know, fully mic'd up, a lot of betting, a lot of different challenges at holes and things like that. The one thing I didn't like with the mic'd up portion of it is that there was a lot of awkward talks going on. And I think these two, as they've aged and matured and everything else throughout their careers, you know, they've grown a little bit more respectful of each other and they don't have that really strict tension between them, competition between them. You know, Tiger has really, you know, taken a hold of the golf world for so long. Mickelson, unfortunately, was kind of sitting there, you know, in his shadow uh, during all of his major wins. Phil obviously has had a very successful career, but nothing compared to Tiger. And with these two going out there, you know, the first hole, it was, you know, very friendly and, you know, how's the weather and how's everything else? And this is so cool to be doing this. And as, you know, the match went on, it got real quiet and you could tell that they were trying to fill the silence every now and then. And, you know, I was sitting there with my wife and and my man, Timmy B, 
watching this thing and we were joking and betting, you know, how many times they were going to reference the weather, or reference the course. And I think, uh, you know, it was, it was fun to watch, but I wish that there would have been a little bit more, you know, action in the sense of maybe some trash talk, uh, you know, maybe a couple sneezes here and there, you know, friendly before shots and things like that. I mean, I think this is something that I think they both took a little too seriously. Um, you know, if that makes any sense, obviously they're playing for $9 million and there's a lot at stake, but at the same time, you know, this is pay-per-view and this is something that a lot of people have looked forward to. You know, it's kind of two top competitors of their generation coming together for one day in Vegas to, you know, play a, a match play match against each other. And so I wish that there would have been a little bit more back and forth uh, you know, between the two. I think it was also difficult with the mics because you constantly heard Phil Mickelson breathing. And I know that he is, you know, a good athlete and he's a hell of a golfer, but gosh dang it, it was so annoying to listen to Phil Mickelson just constantly breathing into his mic and it was overshadowing a lot of the other sounds going on that day. The next thing is, you know, just between... You know, the two of them, you know, some of the things that Tiger and Phil were saying, you know, we got the awesome shout out from Phil about Tasty and how he described some of his shots and, you know, the side sauce referring to the English and some of the spin on the ball and different things like that. And it was it was a lot of fun to, you know, kind of hear some of that stuff, you know, going on, uh, you know, the different things that they say and how they describe stuff and you know, it was just awesome. And my wife and I and Timmy now we're saying tasty and side sauce all the time just because it's, you know, a fun play on words. And, you know, it was interesting to hear, you know, some of that stuff going on. But one of the things that kind of frustrated me too was a lot of the challenges or bets that they were placing with each other were very unlikely. And, you know, I mean, the one where they did, you know, I think it was 200K with whoever, you know, Eagles the short, you know, par four hole when they were both, you know, approaching and chipping in and they both had really good drives. And it was like, yeah, I mean, that'd be cool to win 200 grand for an Eagle on a par four like that. If you do, you know, hit it in from a hundred to 120 yards. But at the same time, you know, that really wasn't relevant in what's going on or make it any more interesting because there was really no loser, you know, I mean, it was one of those where, yeah, if one of those guys hit the most perfect shot and got a little lucky and were able to put in, you know, their eagle shot, like, wow, that's awesome. But the unlikelihood of that made the bets, you know, a little bit more boring than what they really could have been. You know, I think some of the fun ones would have been, you know, closest to the pin on something like that, you know, or another one, you know, I was I was telling my wife and, and Timmy B while we were watching it was... You know, how about you do 10K for every foot you're closer than the other player on an approach shot? You know, something like that would have been really cool and would have raised a lot of money for the charities they were, you know, doing these challenges and bets for. Um, You know, so just little things like that, I think, would have made it a lot more interesting, uh, you know, with the match. Obviously, you know, in the end, they end up playing the 93-yard hole. You know, they go into extra holes, and it was funny to watch these two because, you could tell both of them wanted to win this thing outright and they didn't want the other player to miss, you know, a par putt 
for them to win. And so there was constant giveaways on putts as you went down the stretch because, you know, if one of them missed a birdie to really seal it and put the pressure on, they didn't want the other one to have to miss maybe a par putt or something like that to to win it themselves. And so there was a lot of gives, a lot of putts that were, you know, hey, pick it up, let's go play. And, uh, you know, that just continued to happen until one of them truly made a birdie to win a hole outright in that sense. So, you know, that was kind of fun and enjoyable to see that competitiveness of each golfer and how they truly wanted to win this thing on their own back instead of, you know, leaving it up for speculation that, well, you know, you were able to two-putt it in and he ended up missing, you know, all that kind of hoopla but uh, definitely was fun. I really hope that, you know, this kind of a situation and match leads to more of this in golf, uh, you know, especially as you get kind of into the winter months and, you know, the PGA Tour dies down, you know, really between about October through, you know, February, March time frame leading up to the Masters and, you know, the kickoff of the PGA Tour. It would be awesome to see maybe one or two of these kind of matches between PGA golfers and, you know, maybe get some guys in their prime. And I was talking, you know, with my man, Timmy B that day, and he was thinking, you know, how much fun would it be to do a pay-per-view situation like this with like a pro-am, you know, and maybe you get like Michael Jordan or Bill Murray, you know, those kind of characters involved with some pros and you kind of do a pro-am, you know, 2v2 type match. Uh, you know, something like that would just be so cool. And, you know, if they're doing it for charity and they have these challenges and, you know, there's betting and things like that involved where you're, you know, supporting the community and charities in some way, I think that that is just so awesome, uh, you know, for these guys to do. So definitely more of this would be certainly enjoyable. And I hope we see more of that. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. The next one I have, uh, the Michigan Wolverines. Lose to Ohio State again on Saturday. There were so many good games on Saturday. End of the year, you know, it was rivalry week. And, you know, there was a lot riding on a lot of these games. And I think none bigger than the Michigan Wolverines against the Ohio State Buckeyes. It was, you know, the fourth time that Jim Harbaugh had a chance to take down Ohio State. You know, they were the favorite in Columbus, uh, you know, an away game, you know, Michigan had been on, you know, this mission all year of, you know, the revenge tour is what they called it. And, you know, they had kind of crossed off all the rest of the teams on that tour from last year. And they get to Ohio State and just kind of lay an egg. And, you know, it's unfortunate. I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan, and I was very excited for the team this year. You know, the defense that they have, offense has been efficient. They've played well. You know, I think that, you know, later in the year, if they play Notre Dame again, I think that they take down Notre Dame. I don't think that they lose that week one matchup. But, you know, this this whole thing about Michigan not being able to beat Ohio State is just so frustrating. I feel like we had the better team and the offense could not get anything going. And that third quarter pretty much just solidified the entire game. You know, big plays offensively defensively special teams by Ohio State they really you know kind of forced the hand of that Michigan defense and and kind of showed them that yeah maybe you're not as good as you think you are or as good as you have been all year and it's going to be interesting to see what Michigan does and I think that Jim Harbaugh 
is definitely on the hot seat. I mean, he's had a good year this year, but he's struggled. You know, in the previous years that he's been here, he's had some big moments, but not really put a good year together. And I mean, I'll tell you one thing, you cannot lose to Ohio State. I mean, that is the most important game on the schedule every single year for the maize and blue. And, you know, my opinion on this whole thing is that I give Jim Harbaugh one more year. He's, you know, had time to get all of his own guys, his recruits in here and and establish what he wants to establish there in Ann Arbor. But the way I look at it as Jim Harbaugh, you get next year. And the way I would look at it as an athletic department, uh, you know, all the way up to as high as you want to go there with the Michigan Wolverines is that Jim Harbaugh, you come back for next year and you go undefeated, you get into the playoffs, and we're playing for the national championship next year. And that would be my requirement and expectations for Jim Harbaugh to coach Michigan in the 2020 season if he so chooses. And I think that that is the stipulation that you need to make clear in Michigan is that we are no longer going to take losses to Michigan State, to Ohio State, and not be competing for the Big Ten Championship every single year. And that is how I would approach this situation with Jim Harbaugh. You get one more year, but you dang sure better go undefeated, make the playoffs, win the first playoff game, and be competing for a national championship in 2019, or we will have to move on and find someone who will. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. My next one here is just so surprising. The New York Giants take on the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. And the Giants come out of the gate and they're playing well. And, you know, OBJ was the one who said they're gonna run the table the whole rest of the year. And the Philadelphia Eagles are struggling. They're trying to find their way after a Super Bowl victory. And. I mean, they played well in the first half. They were up 19 to 11. You know, they they looked like they were doing well. They were moving the ball. Saquon Barkley having a huge half. And the second half comes around. They're up 19-11. And Saquon Barkley, you might as well have put him on the bench with how little they used him. Saquon Barkley had five touches in the second half. For the entire game, Saquon Barkley only ran the ball 13 times. 13 times. But he ran the ball 13 times for 101 yards and a touchdown. He also had seven catches for 41 yards and a touchdown. And yet they have Eli Manning throwing the ball 37 times in that game when you had the lead. I mean, Saquon Barkley is your future. You drafted him number two overall. And I think New York needs to realize that he is the one that is going to be your main focus on your offense. Eli Manning is aging. I think he's still got talent if he can be protected by the offensive line to make plays. Odell Beckham Jr., one of the top receivers in the NFL. But Saquon Barkley is your future. And you have to get him the ball. He has to be the focal point of your offense because this guy can do it on the ground and in the air and I don't think there's enough of him we've seen games where they've just fed him the ball and for some reason against the Eagles they just stopped doing that in the second half 
when he was so efficient and being so good the entire first half. I mean, I don't know why you have Eli Manning dropping back 37 times to throw the ball when you have a guy like Saquon Barkley on your team. If Odell Beckham wants to, you know, hoop holler and complain on the sideline about not getting enough passes or not getting the ball enough, that's fine. That's okay. Saquon Barkley is the one that you want to take care of because he is going to drive the success of this team for the next 10 to 12 years, however long he's in the league. So make it happen. Eli and Odell are role players when they're in the same conversation as Saquon Barkley. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. And this may sound like a broken record on my next one. But how about the Seahawks comeback on the Panthers on Sunday? I mean, this was a heck of a game. It was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, it was only a 13-10 game in the first half. But Carolina, you know, was coming out. They were playing well. And the Seahawks just stuck with them step for step. And it was a tough loss for Carolina. Russell Wilson had a great day. But, you know, the problem that I come back to, and I may, I may repeat myself many times on this podcast, but Christian McCaffrey is the guy that you need to get the ball to. And they did. 17 carries for 125 yards. 11 receptions for 112 yards. What I don't understand is that the drive prior to their last drive, Christian McCaffrey had every single offensive yard, whether running or receiving, in the entire drive, and they capped it off with a touchdown. The next drive, they come out, and they try to put it all back on Cam Newton, and they're trying to you know, pass the ball, and they're trying to do all these different things and you know, make Cam Newton make the plays, and I think... Like I said, in my opinion, Christian McCaffrey is your focal point. Cam Newton is not a guy who's going to throw this team on his back and just run away with it. 2015, as we've seen across Cam Newton's entire career, the 2015 year has been kind of that anomaly. You know, the MVP season, all the action, all the offensive production, everything he was able to do, that is the outlier from what we've seen from Cam Newton every single other year. Christian McCaffrey is a guy who can really carry the load for this team, and he's making plays all over the field no matter where you get him the ball. And Greg Olson, I think, is another guy, though aging, you know, he's still very productive. For him to only have two catches for 11 yards, I think Cam Newton needs to realize that not every single pass needs to be 30 yards, 40 yards down the field. We know you have a strong arm. We know you can throw it forever down the field. Why don't you work on being efficient, getting your playmakers the ball, and letting them go do what they need to do? That's what he does with Christian McCaffrey because he's a running back. He's close. There's a lot of different plays going on there. But I'm sure he could find Greg Olson a few more times and let him help that offense stay on the field, keep the chains moving, and score more points because that's what they need to do. Christian McCaffrey had a heck of a game, and in the end, they wanted to rely on Cam Newton. That's the problem. Christian McCaffrey is the focal point. Use him that way, and there's no need to argue about that. 
You gotta be kidding me. How about the Jacksonville Jaguars? Oh my gosh. Could that game on Sunday have been any crazier? I mean, Leonard Fournette gets into a fight protecting his teammate, you know, being the good enforcer, coming to the defense of his teammates, and starts throwing haymakers. Like, why? What are you doing? You have to be smart in that instance. You can come to the aid, you know, you can say a few choice words, but you can't start throwing haymakers on a guy just because he talks bad about your mama. You can't do it. I mean, Leonard Fournette scored two touchdowns in the first half. He was the only offensive, I mean, production that they had. Blake Borders was 12 of 23 for 127 yards with two interceptions. Leonard Fournette, you just got back from being injured, man. Keep yourself on the field. You're the only, only chance that this team has to be successful, especially while Blake Bortles is still the quarterback. And, you know, the defense, they played well. I mean, they shut out the Bills for the second and third quarter. You know, the Bills got the, you know, 14 points in the, you know, first quarter. But, you know, Josh Allen was hitting some big plays. I mean, he only threw the ball 19 times. They were running the ball all over the place with Josh Allen and LaShawn McCoy. I mean, Josh Allen had 13 carries for 99 yards. Like, what? This is a guy from Wyoming who wants to throw the ball 80 yards or however long it was at his pro day when he was, you know, showing off. And he ran the ball for 99 yards on this defense that is supposed to be the big-time defense of the NFL. The Jacksonville Jaguars. It is so unfortunate to see what they were able to accomplish last year and how this team came together and how this year they have just completely gone back to being the Jacksonville Jaguars. Last year, you know, the fans, they praise the Jaguars, for all the money that they spent on that defense and free agency. And now this year, all that money looks like such a waste of an investment in the aging veterans they have on that defense. And it is just a crazy story going on there in Florida. And then after the game, you know, they announced that Blake Bortles is now being benched. Leonard Fournette gets suspended. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with this team. But I'll tell you one thing. Leonard Fournette, you have to stay on the field. You can't do silly things like throw punches at an opposing player during the middle of the game, man. Win the battle on the field and the scoreboard. It'll feel 10 times better than any haymaker will to a helmet. I mean, you guys are punching helmets. I mean, I used to do it too, but come on. You're not going to hurt anybody when you're punching helmets. You're just going to hurt your hand. For Blake Bortles. Oh, man, Blake Bortles. I looked at my wife as this game was ending. They were going for the onside kick, and then CBS, you know, contractually, we have to go to the Denver Broncos. Why? Let us at least watch the onside kick. Oh, man, I hate when they do that towards the end of good games like that where you just want to see the onside kick. All I wanted to see was the onside kick. If they got it or if they didn't, I'll move on and watch the Broncos. But at least let me see the onside kick. Blake Bortles. Let's look at Blake Bortles' career here. Okay, 2014 was his first year. Started 13 games. Record was 3-10. 2015. Started 16 games. Record was 5-11. Okay. 
two wins better with three more games. 2016, he went 3-13 and in all 16 games that he started. 2017... Big year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They go 10-6. and six. They make it all the way to the AFC Championship game. Oh my gosh, how crazy is this? Right in the back of that defense, they get all the way there. Leonard Fournette, rookie, drafted. What a great team. 2018, he's 3-8. Overall, in Blake Bortles' career, he's been 24-48 and 48 in his career. 24 wins. 48 losses, double the amount of losses than wins in his career. Here's the best part. You know, you want to know what Blake Bortles has made in his career? Between signing bonuses and his yearly salary, Blake Bortles has made $40 million in his career. $40 million Blake Bortles has made in his NFL career with a 24 and 48 record. <sighs> Blake Bortles should not only be benched, but he should be arrested for robbing the Jacksonville Jaguars of all that money. You want to know how many interceptions Blake Bortles has had in his career? Let's look at this. 2014, he had 17 interceptions. 2015, 18 interceptions. 2016, 16 interceptions. 2017, 13 interceptions. Through 2018 in 11 games, he already has 10 interceptions, almost one per game. He's played, well, he's started 72 games in his NFL career, and he has thrown 74 interceptions in his NFL career. And that's the quarterback that the Jacksonville Jaguars felt they needed to sign to a $50 million contract and be the face of their franchise. Goodness. Highway robbery. Arrest that man. And there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me. All right, for my last one, let's get to the highlight of the weekend. Denver Broncos do find a way to get a victory in Denver against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming in, you know, they get another big win like they had last week against the Chargers. You know, one of the hottest offenses. Uh, you know, one of the best teams, I mean, in the NFL. Before that loss, Pittsburgh was number two in the AFC playoff standings, and Denver finds a way to get a win. And my you-gotta-be-kidding-me moment of this game was Will Parks completely just annihilating the tight end for Pittsburgh at the goal line. He doesn't give up on the play. He comes across the field and lays a hit that dislodges the ball, fumbling out of the end zone, and it's a touchback for Denver when it should have been a touchdown for Pittsburgh Steelers. And Will Park, I give everything up to you, my man, because that was such an awesome play of not giving up and showing why you play till the very, very end of the whistle every single play because anything can happen, and he showed that. 
that anything can happen as long as you don't give up, you give it your all, and you make the plays when the opportunity comes. Congratulations, Will Parks. That was truly amazing to watch. Defensively, the Broncos in this game just played so, so awesome. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger threw the two interceptions. The one sealed it. I mean, it was the game winner. You look down there, and they're at the goal line, and Shelby Harris gets the interception on the run-pass option play that Ben Roethlisberger throws. And I don't care what anybody sells. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, Shelby Harris was getting blocked, and, you know, he maybe shouldn't have been there. He got lucky. Who cares? You know what I saw when I see the replay of that play? Shelby Harris had his eyes on the quarterback the entire time. His eyes were in the backfield. He was reading the play. Whether he was getting blocked back or whether he was choosing not to rush, I don't really care. But all I know is that I was looking at his eyes, and his eyes are in the backfield, and he is constantly reading what is going on there. And when he sees Ben Roethlisberger pull that ball up above his shoulder to make the throw, he throws his hands up just looking to get a tip, and it falls right into his hands for the game-winning interception. And it was so awesome to watch. It was such an awesome way to end that game. The Broncos pulling it out with the victory. Here's my take on the Denver Broncos. Okay, Great win last week and this week. But defense was a huge, huge driver of those two victories. Of course, and Philip Lindsay. Reoccurring, I mean, this is just, it keeps coming up in this podcast. Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, Philip Lindsay, like these guys are the core of your team. Use them and ride them to the success. It's the only way. I'm so tired of everyone saying, well, you have to have the greatest quarterback in the world to win in the NFL. Yes, you do have to have a very good quarterback. You have to have a competent quarterback that is efficient with the ball, can hit receivers and make the plays when they come to win Super Bowls. To be competitive in the NFL, eh, you know, that's another story. But you look at this Denver Broncos team and how the defense has played the last two weeks with all the turnovers, with all the big plays. I mean, you know, Simmons with the blocked field goal in the first quarter. How awesome was that? You can't run up and get momentum to jump over the center anymore. So Simmons is like, okay, I'll just vertical over the center and block it. I mean, it was so awesome the plays that this defense and our special teams have made the last two weeks. But I'll tell you what. This Denver Broncos offense has to get so, so much better. And it is driving me absolutely crazy how terrible this offense is day in and day out with the exception of Phillip Lindsay. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders has made some big plays when he has the opportunity, but Case Keenum can't always get the ball to his receivers. Case Keenum went 15 of 28 in this game. Yeah, he threw for two touchdowns and everything looks good because he didn't throw an interception. Big whoop, 15 of 28. Do you guys see the throws that Case Keenum is making during these games with the Broncos? He's overthrowing guys. He's throwing the ball behind guys. He's underthrowing guys. I mean, he cannot hit a receiver to save his butt, and it drives me absolutely bonkers. 
Looking forward to this game coming up this week against the Cincinnati Bengals. I would absolutely love it if the Denver Broncos ran the ball 20 straight times to start the game. Just non-stop Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, and Janovich right down their throat every single play to start the game. Because I'm so tired of watching Case Keenum drop back and throw the ball that I literally want to just, oh, I want to throw the remote. I want to throw my phone. I want to throw my beer on Sunday when I'm watching the game because it is so frustrating to watch him play quarterback for the Broncos. He's gotten a lot better this year. He's not turning the ball over. He's found some tight ends and some guys that he can get the ball to, but he is struggling so bad. And I think that everyone is covering it up with the way that they've won the last two weeks. But promise you this, it has been driven by the defense. When the Broncos start with the ball at the 25-yard line and there's a touchback, they have no chance of going down the field and scoring touchdowns. And that is a major, major problem in the NFL. Yeah, when the defense gets a turnover and we get a start on you know midfield plus or minus 10 yards, Sure, this offense seems to do great, but we can't start a game with three and outs every single game after a touchback. I mean, it is utterly ridiculous that usually your first 10 to 20 plays are totally scripted. You've practiced them all week. You've gone over them 48 to 72 hours before you kick off, and we continue to go three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out to start games, and it drives me crazy. I would love to see the Broncos just start running the ball with this big four-tackle, one-guard-at-center offensive line and just establish the mentality in Cincinnati that we are going to pound the rock down your throat in your house against, oh, you guessed it, the 32nd ranked defense in the Bengals. They are dead last in defense. So this week is a key, key week for the Broncos to get their act together on offense and for Case Keenum to be successful. Because if you can't do it against the worst ranked defense in the NFL, you don't deserve to be doing it. Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, Janovich. Lindsay, Freeman, Janovich. Freeman, Janovich, Lindsay. I don't care what order. Start the game out with nothing but running plays and just pound the rock for the entire first quarter. And when the second quarter comes around and Cincinnati starts loading that box, you hit Sutton, you hit Sanders on the outside for some big time plays. And we maybe can drive the ball 75 yards and put six points on the board. Because that's what you're supposed to do when you're making $18 million a year, Case Keenum. And there's no need to argue about that. Okay, sorry. I always get so, so worked up when I talk about the Broncos. And that's why I told you I wasn't going to talk about them anymore. But... You know, they've won two games, and I'm excited. I'm cheering them on every Sunday, but I'm still not sold. I'm still not satisfied because what I see is not 
going to be successful if we do make a run against these terrible teams coming up. Okay. Hey, let's move on, shall we? That was awesome. So much stuff going on last week. I'm sorry I missed you guys on Monday. I really wanted to get get in here into the studio and talk with you guys about that on Monday. But, uh, you know, a lot of going on this weekend. We got some big, big-time games this weekend. Obviously, we got the SEC Championship. We got the Big Ten Championship. We got the Big 12 Championship. We got the Pac-12 Championship. You know, who knows who's going to make the Final Four in college football and everything else. You know, Notre Dame, you know, my wife's a huge fan. Her entire family's huge, huge fans of Notre Dame. And she was so excited when they beat USC, you know, solidified that undefeated record. And I can't imagine with the following and the national fan base that Notre Dame has that they will not be in the Final Four. I don't see a scenario where they're not in the Final Four after all of the conference championship games, which means, you know, this is the outlier in college football with Notre Dame and the history of the program not being in a conference is that if that team goes undefeated and they've looked good all year, you know, they're going to be in. And so there's going to be, you know, some big time college conferences that get left out of the final four. You know, obviously you got Clemson in the ACC. You got to think that they're going to take care of business and they'll be a lock. Alabama, you know, they're going up against Georgia. Rematch of last year's national championship game. You know, I know Georgia wants some some revenge on that with Tua coming in in the second half and just dismantling Georgia after they did such a good job in the first half against Alabama. You know, that's going to be an interesting one. If Alabama loses, do they still get in? You got to think that they're still the best team in the in the college football, sorry. Um, you know, even if they lose to Georgia, in the SEC championship game. If Georgia wins in the SEC championship game, I can't imagine you're going to leave a one loss Georgia SEC champion out of the playoffs. So, you know, where does that leave the big 12? Where does that leave the big 10? Where does that leave the PAC 12? You know, a lot of things got to take place, you know, going into this weekend and who's truly going to solidify their spot in the college football playoffs. So keep Saturday wide open because there's going to be some great games and a lot of drama playing on every single play during each and every one of those games. Sunday, uh, you know, we got some big time games, but it starts with tonight. I mean, the Saints go into Dallas Thursday night football primetime game. I know I took the Falcons over the Saints last week as my upset and the Falcons had a chance. That defense played well. You know, they held the Saints better than any team in probably the last four or five weeks has held the Saints. And Matt Ryan and that offense could not get anything going in that game. And it was frustrating to watch because I knew that I picked them as my upset pick. I was trying to root them on, but it was so hard to watch that offense. I don't know what's gone on there. They used to be so high-powered. Julio Jones, they got Ridley, they got Sanu, you know, Coleman, they got Ito Smith. I mean, the team is so deep on offense and yet they can't score points. But the Cowboys are a really good team. That defense is playing really well. You know, that is a team coming off of, you know, a big win last week against the Redskins, getting a week off at home, you know, that they're looking to make a statement and they need to you know, really get a win tonight to 
continue to compete in the NFC East. I mean, the NFC East is wide open, and the Cowboys with a win against the number one Saints could truly set them up for the rest of the year in the NFC East and the NFC playoff picture. So this is a big, big game tonight. Cowboys are going to be interesting, and they are my upset pick of the week this week. I'm taking the Cowboys. I don't know what I have against the Saints, but I seem to think that the Saints are going to drop one of these games over the last couple weeks, and I continue to pick the team that the Saints are playing as my upset pick every week. But I really feel good about the Cowboys. I think they have a great offensive team. They have a great defensive team. They're very well-rounded. They're at home. And I think that they give Drew Brees some fits. So give me the Cowboys in my upset pick of the week tonight, Thursday night football. On Sunday, you know, we we got a lot of big games going on. Obviously, every game at this time of the year is going to be a big game. We got a lot of teams that need wins to keep their playoff hopes alive. Or, you know, they need wins just to solidify and try and, you know, really put their spot in their selective conference in concrete. Panthers obviously coming off a big loss, going down to Tampa Bay, big divisional game there. Colts are going down to Jacksonville. Andrew Luck has been playing amazing. That team is back on track and the Jaguars are going to be without Leonard Fournette, and they have their backup quarterback starting in this game with Blake Bortles getting benched. So I'd have to think that the Colts are going to run away with that one, but you never know. The Jaguars' defense might have a little pride left in the tank to uh, you know get after Andrew Luck. Bears and Giants, I think, is going to be a really good game. You know, they're going to the Meadowlands. The Bears with that defense, you know, Mitch Trubisky being out last week. We'll see what happens this week. But, you know, the Bears have looked really, really good all year long, and they've been consistent, which I think is a surprise to a lot of people. You know, you look at the roster, and people know they have some players there, but they've been very consistent this year. So I think that, you know, this will be a big game. The Bears want to make sure they stay on top of the NFC North. The Vikings are surging, and, you know, the Bears want to make sure that, you know, they solidify that NFC North championship, and they set themselves up well for a home game come playoffs. Giants... I mean, you're almost out of it now. You know, you really needed that win. A divisional game last week against the Eagles. You had it in your grasp and you let it go. Who knows what's going to happen to this team after this year, but Saquon Barkley is a sure bet. The guy is awesome to watch, and it'll be fun to see how he does against that daunting Bears defense come Sunday. Uh, One of the biggest games that I'm looking forward to this week is the Browns and Texans. You know, we got Baker Mayfield, we got Deshaun Watson, two energetic, big-time play quarterbacks. You know, obviously everyone knows about their college careers, you know, with Clemson and with Oklahoma. And, you know, both these guys have a lot of talent. They have really good teams that are being built around them. And they're the focal point. So, you know, this will be a fun game to watch. You know, Browns are going into Houston. They're coming off a big win. That team seems to be finding some mojo. But the Texans are also, you know, finding their mojo. And, you know, Demarius Thomas has two touchdowns last week. You know, Hopkins was barely in the picture of that offense. But, hey, we got DT. We got all these other guys. You know, Deshaun Watson is just out there making plays like he was last year before his knee injury. So that is going to be a fun game to watch those two young quarterbacks and two young teams get after each other. Uh, You know, obviously another big matchup is the Vikings and Patriots. You know, both those teams trying to stay on top. 
And, you know, the Vikings' big win against the Packers last week. Patriots obviously go in and beat Miami. But, uh, you know, this one will be in New England. So, you know, going to be a fun game to watch and see how the Vikings do against the Patriots now that the Patriots are getting healthy, getting everyone back together, and finding their groove. And then the Chargers and the Steelers, Sunday night football, you know, Chargers and the Steelers have to come off of both losing to the the Denver Broncos the way that they both did. So you know that those teams are going to be angry. They're going to be hungry. They're going to want to get after each other and find a victory to stay, uh, you know, up in the AFC because obviously, you know, the Chargers were surging. They were looking good. The Broncos knock them off. Now the Broncos are kind of getting into that playoff hunt. You know, the Chargers and Broncos play each other in week 17 this year, and that game could have a big, big, meaningful playoff implications if, you know, the Chargers continue to slide here and there. So I will be rooting for the Steelers in this one. I want to try and keep the Broncos' chances alive as long as I possibly can this year, and we'll see what happens. But going to be a fun weekend uh, of games. A lot of stuff going on. Obviously, Saturday and Sunday are going to be jam-packed. I don't know when I'm going to get all the stuff done that I need to around the house. But, uh, you know, I'll I'll try and fit it in during commercials and and halftimes. And see if my wife yells at me for that. (laughs) But uh, thank you, guys. Like I said, that's... I wanted to try and rush through everything. I know I missed a lot. You know, there were some things I wanted to say that I wasn't able to get to or that I probably forgot about rushing through trying to combine my Monday and Thursday episodes. But check out the game tonight. It's going to be fun. I'm taking the Cowboys as my upset of the week. And uh, I will definitely catch you guys on Monday next weekend. Or I'm sorry, next week after a big weekend of football and things to come. So enjoy your weekend. Have so much fun. And I will check you guys on Monday. Take care. Thank you all so much for listening again. Until next time, I'm Kobe Wittick, and there's no need to argue about that.